Good morning. First Corinthians chapter thir- uh, 15, verse 9 through 11. For I am the least of the apostles, and I do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me, whether then it is I or they, This is what we preach, and this is what you believe. Word of God. Amen. Thank you, Betty. You guys can have a seat. And I'm just going to pray for our time in God's Word today. Lord, thank you for this church community. Thank you for the men and women in here. I pray that you would... Help us to see you in a greater way. That you would loom big in our hearts. I pray that the grace that you offer us and pour out to us and fill us with that we would be so confident in that grace that we would run the race that you have set before each one of us. In your name, Jesus, amen. So we are in part four of this series, Your Days Are Numbered, talking about how you're not going to be here long. Our time on earth is short. Our life is a vapor, a mist, like the morning dew, here for a moment and then gone. So how are we living? How are we living in light of this truth? Are we making the most of it? We've talked about how this world is not our home, so we shouldn't try too hard and get too caught up in trying to fulfill every longing of our soul. That longing will be fulfilled when Christ returns, when we see him face to face. We talked about the importance of training for godliness, how becoming more like Jesus should be our primary pursuit in life, more than any other dream or goal. We talked last week about using our privilege. We have been privileged by God, given gifts, given wealth, given different abilities, resources, and we are to use them for those who are uh, less fortunate, less privileged, those who are more disadvantaged than us, the least of these. God cares about how we treat those who are vulnerable, marginalized in our world, and what we do with our privilege reveals how much we really believe in the resurrection life, how much our hope is really in the life to come versus this world. Today, I want to talk about grace that is not to be wasted. Don't waste God's grace. That is the main point of today. Don't waste God's grace. I want you to imagine a scenario. Imagine that um, you found out, we were friends, we're in the same church, uh, and and you found out that I was $200,000 in debt. Due to a host of factors and circumstances that my family was $200,000 in debt. We were in a real hole and we were trying to dig our way out of it. But it was tough. It was, it's, 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 it's a mess. And, and you find out, and you're a millionaire. 
So imagine you come to me one day and you say, Chris, listen, you, God really put it on my heart and I've prayed about this and, and I see you guys, you know, you're, you're trying to be faithful and you got these kids and, you know, you, you want to put them through college and so here's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to write you a check for a million dollars. And I want you to take that million dollars and I want you to pay off that debt. I want you to pay off your, your mortgage. I want you to put some money in some college funds for your kids and then put some money away for the future. But then, Chris, that's not all. I want to give you another million dollars. And I want you to take that second million and I want you to find somebody to bless. Do you know anybody who's in a lot of need? And let's say I say, hey, I got this family that lives next door to us. And the oldest just got diagnosed with this rare disease. Insurance isn't covering the medical bills. They're, they're, they're in a real jam and they haven't been able to make mortgage payments. And you say, perfect, I want you to take the second million dollars and I want you to give it to them to pay off all their, all their needs. And so you give me the check. A week later, you see me at church and you say, Chris, I noticed that the, the check wasn't cashed. And I say, yeah, you know, I, I don't want to take your money. I, I, I'm in a hole myself and I, I, we got to dig our way out of it. We, 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 we got to do this ourselves. I, we can't accept your, your gift. We can't accept your money. And you're like, but Chris, I prayed about this. Like, I really want to bless you. No, 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 no. I, I got to do this myself. I would imagine that you might feel like, hey, this is a gift I want to give to you. You're kind of you're neglecting. You're kind of letting it go to waste, right? Here's an alternate scenario. Imagine I did take the, the, the $2 million and I cashed it. And you follow up with me the next week. How's it going? I'm like, oh, I'm paying off the debt. This is great. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, and then you say, well, what about your neighbors? Did you give them the, the other million? And I say, nah. No, I decided to cash that. And I, we're, we're going we're gonna to do some other stuff with that. I, I don't want to shove my money down their throats and, you know, they have some situations that, it's a lot of drama over there. I don't want to get involved in their drama. And you're like, but that's, I gave you that second million to bless them with. Nah, nah, we're going we're gonna to do some other stuff with it. Again, you'd feel like your gift, I would imagine you'd feel like your gift that you've prayed about, that you have a certain intention for, is, is being wasted, Right? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. God has given us his grace. He pursues us in his grace. He lavishes his grace on us. And some of us, so there's three groups in particular I want to speak to today. Number one are those in here who, in God's grace, he is pursuing you. His grace is chasing you down and you're fighting it. You're disinterested. You're like, no, not for me. That's the first group. I want to say, don't waste God's grace that is chasing you down, that is pursuing you, that is trying to get a hold of your heart. Then there's a second group who you've trusted in Jesus. Maybe you've been baptized and, and, and you believe that Jesus has paid for your sins and yet you still wallow in shame and still beat yourself up over past or even present sins. And I want to say to you, don't waste the grace that covers your shame. And then the third group are those who Believers in Jesus, sing the songs, but don't have a desire, aren't motivated to share that grace with others who haven't heard or don't know about, haven't experienced the love of Christ. Keeping it to yourself because you don't want to shove this grace down anybody's throat or get involved in others' drama. So there's three groups I want to talk to. It's going to be a shorter message because we have a video testimony to end this series with. And then we're going to pray for people who need prayer. Who maybe God is chasing down in his grace. Or who struggle with shame. Or who need his grace to empower you and motivate you to go share that grace with others.
We're going to unpack 1 Corinthians 15, where Betty just read from. These three verses. Let's, uh, let's dive into it. Verse 9. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So this is the apostle Paul talking to the Corinthians in what is the longest passage that he's written on the resurrection of Jesus. This chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, is all about the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus died, he rose again, his body was seen. People touched him, talked with him, ate with him. And he is going to, because of his resurrection power, he is going to raise us who belong to him uh, uh, in resurrected bodies. And we're going to reign with him. And, and all, all of heaven on earth is going to be uh, put under his foot. As the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. That's what this chapter is about. Uh, but in the beginning, he's, he's listing off people who saw Jesus alive and resurrected. Peter and the other apostles and, and 500 witnesses at one time. And then he says, and also he appeared to me. Jesus appeared to me, Paul says. And that's where we kind of roll into verse 9 where he says, I am the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be an apostle because of the way I persecuted the church of God. And what he means here is that prior to Jesus revealing himself to Paul, Paul did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. In fact, he believed that anybody who was claiming Jesus to be the Messiah was out of their minds and actually an enemy of the Jewish people. And so Paul was kind of a, a leading the way in trying to get rid of Jesus' followers. Trying to get rid of them, have them arrested, put in prison, executed. He, he was an enemy of Jesus because he thought Jesus was an enemy of the Jews. This, this cult. Because nobody believed that, he didn't believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead. Jesus was crucified at the hand of the Romans. And as soon as you're crucified by your political enemies, you get crossed off the list of potential messiahs. That's what happened. All the people who claimed to be the messiah died and then they're like, guess that's not him. Guess that's not him. So Jesus is crossed off the list and now all these people are saying, but he actually rose from the dead. Paul's like, that's ridiculous. And so he set out to get rid of these Christians. In fact, when Jesus revealed himself to him, Paul had uh, warrants for the arrest of Christians in Damascus and he was going from Jerusalem to Damascus to round up these Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem. And on his way, Jesus showed up blinding light, knocks him down and says, Saul, Saul, that was his Hebrew name, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Lord, who are you? I am Jesus whom you persecute. And he says, get up and you're going to go and you're going to talk to this guy Ananias and I'm going to show you what you're going to do for me. And he ends up serving and preaching this gospel. Uh, he's blinded for a few days. But he's, he's anointed and appointed as an apostle. He is put in the same ranks as Peter and James and John. Even though he was an enemy of Peter, James, and John. So that's what he means. I don't even deserve to be an apostle. Because of the way I was out to get them. Get them killed and stoned and put in prison. I had such a, an, an, a, a, a heart of hatred towards them. And then Jesus came after me. Verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. 
No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach and this is what you believed. So that word grace, I underlined it because um, I want you to see three times he uses that word grace. Three times. The grace of God. The grace of God. Uh, so verse 10, let's, let's, let's go through it slowly. By the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. So in other words, it is not because I wised up. It is not because I read some books and figured some stuff out about Jesus. No, it is by God's grace that he came after me. All in his grace, he came after me. There's a churchy cliche that people say sometimes that Jesus is a gentleman. He doesn't go where he's not welcome. Paul would say, I didn't welcome him. I was on the road trying to get the people who were following him and he showed up. He came after me. I was saying, you're not welcome. And Jesus was saying, I love you so much. I'm still coming after you. And he knocked him down and he got a hold of his heart and he forgave him and he pardoned him of his sins and he transformed his heart. All out of his grace. It's by the grace of God I am what I am. And then he says, and his grace to me was not without effect. Some of your versions might say, not in vain. His grace to me didn't go to waste, in other words. The billions of dollars that he put into my account, I'm not going to just let it sit there. I'm going to spend it and invest it the way God wants me to spend it and invest it. So he says, no, I worked harder than all of them, meaning the other apostles. And this is not him saying I'm better than them. You know, he's like, remember, he said, I, I don't deserve to be an apostle. So because of God's grace making me one, I'm going to use my, everything in my life, all my energies to make the most of it. He's given me these billions in his account, in my account. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use it. I'm going to work hard to invest it properly for his kingdom, for his glory. Specifically, look at verse 11. Whether then it is I or they, the other apostles, this is what we preach and this is what you believed. This gospel that Jesus died, rose again, conquered death in our place. This is what we preach. So he works harder than all of them, suffering and sacrificing, traveling around the Roman Empire, being imprisoned in order to preach and get this good news out. This, this good news of God's grace that you can have resurrection life no matter what you've done. Because look at me. I persecuted the church of God. Look at me. And yet I'm, a, I'm an apostle. So you can be part of this resurrection life. That's what he's working hard for. To get this message of the gospel out. But lest anybody accuse him of bragging or, 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 or thinking that, wow, he's so impressive with his work ethic. Look at that little phrase in the middle. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. See that at the end of verse 10? So I'm working hard, but it's really not even me. It's the grace of God in me, motivating me, empowering me, energizing me. So I want you to notice this. He's talking about the grace of God that came after him in the past, transformed him in the past, but now is active in the present, empowering him. Like gas for a car. He's like, I'm hitting the pedal, but the grace of God is providing the fuel. See that? 
So to, to kind of summarize it again, grace pursued him. Grace covered his shame, being the, the jerk that he was. And grace is now empowering him, sending him out, motivating him, energizing him. So now I want to talk to us about these three things. Because Paul's like, I, I, don't, don't let it go to waste. You know, don't waste God's grace. I, I, I don't want it to be without effect. His love, his grace is poured out on us. Don't let it go to waste. So three things. Don't waste the grace that, number one, pursues you. Again, some of you in here, you may not be a follower of Jesus yet. You may not be a believer in Jesus yet. And you might be here just because your spouse asked you to come or your parents making you come or a friend dragged you here. They told you it was going to be something else. Who knows? Maybe you have an annoying co-worker in your life. Maybe there's friends and family members who keep bringing up Jesus and maybe they're annoying about it. Who knows? But it could be Jesus coming after you, trying to get your attention. Don't don't keep doing what Paul was doing, kicking against the goads. He was eventually overcome. And that might be you, Jesus pursuing you, trying to get your attention, rocking your boat. When I was 19, Jesus was rocking my boat. Everything started to shake and fall down in my life. And, and, and he did that. I look back and I'm like, praise God for that season where everything was falling apart. Where I was finally ready to say, all right, Jesus, I'm ready to make you my Lord. Thank God for that season. Maybe some of you guys are going through a season like that. The grace of God pursuing you. Bringing you to your knees so that you say, all right, my life is yours. Maybe tearing down some things so he can rebuild you. Maybe bothering you with dreams. Don't waste the grace that is pursuing you. At the end of service, we're going to have a prayer team down front. And if uh, you think that might be you, Jesus coming after you, where you're ready to say, okay, I want to give him my life. Our prayer team will be available to, to pray with you. That's number one. Number two, don't waste the grace that washes away your shame. Again, some of us sing the songs and we, we say we believe it, that he's paid for our guilt, and yet we still beat ourselves up for things. The Apostle Paul was an enemy of the church of God. I would imagine there are mornings that he woke up with the faces in his mind of people that he had persecuted. Who he went after, families that he had torn apart. Stephen, who was stoned. There was a, um, I, I've alluded to this story a couple times, but I'll just kind of tell it more in full. We serve at the Chelsea Assisted Living Home. Uh, where there's elderly folks. We started doing services there twice a month. At the first service, when we were done, uh, an elderly person came up to me and asked for me to pray with them. Uh, they said there is something from their past that they cannot forgive themselves for. And I said, well, do you believe God and Jesus has forgiven you? And they said, oh yeah, I believe Jesus has forgiven me. I just can't forgive myself. And so in a long conversation that I think was somewhat gentle, I, I said, well, like, who, who do you think you are? That your throne is bigger than God's throne and your gavel as a judge is heavier than God's gavel. 
that you get to declare someone, even if it's yourself, still guilty when God has declared you forgiven. Like, you got to kick yourself off that throne. And so we had a number of conversations uh, about that. And I even asked, what is it that you think is so bad? And they confessed there was adultery. They had cheated on their spouse long ago. In fact, it was 1963. And they're still being plagued and weighed down by it in, in their 90s. And, and it wasn't like they kept it from, like their spouse found out, it affected their marriage and whatnot. Um, and adultery is bad. Like I didn't let them off the hook like a dad. That's offensive to God. That hurts families and people and our spouse. And that's, like, that's, that's really bad. It's almost as bad as gossip. I mean, it's bad. And yet Jesus paid for it. So we had a number of conversations. And then one day after the, weeks later, after one of the service, or right before one of the services started, they came up to me and they said, I finally got it. I finally got it. Jesus paid for it. I was like, yeah, yeah, finally got it. It went from my head to my heart. And they said, I feel so much peace, the burden. You wouldn't believe how much peace I feel, they said. And then their face changed from, from like excitement to frustration. And, and they said, but why did it take so long? 60 years I've been carrying this around. Why did it take so long? And that just struck me. Jesus paid for it, and he doesn't want us being weighed down by it for 60 years. Our lives are too short for us to be plagued with shame when Jesus says, I took your shame upon the cross. And listen, some of you have done some despicable things as well. There's adultery in here. There's pornography. There's uh, substance abuse. There's physical abuse of loved ones, verbal abuse of loved ones. There's all kinds of wicked stuff. If I asked you to raise your hands, if you've done anything extra despicable, probably a number of you could raise your hands. I can raise my hand. And yet, Jesus covered it by the grace of God. We are what we are. And don't let his grace be without effect. Don't walk in shame. Don't let it weigh us down. I was reminded of the, the, when the women found the tomb of Jesus empty and they were looking for his body. And the angel said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why are you looking for the old order of things when resurrection life has started? And I just think about that with the things we carry around. Would the angel say to us, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why are you looking back as the, at the old order of things where you screw up and then you beat yourself up for the rest of your life or try to, you know, do penance to make up for it? Why are you looking back when resurrection life has started? Walk in that resurrection life. Walk in the newness of life. He, Jesus says, confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us when we confess our sins. So yeah, own it. Don't deny it. Don't diminish it. Own it. It's wrong. It's despicable. Grieve it. Mourn it. But then leave it at the cross and walk in newness of life. Don't waste his grace. Don't let shame cripple you. So if that's you, you've been battling shame. Again, we have a prayer team down front. We'd love to pray for you and see that be broken like it was for that person at the assisted living home. And then finally, number three, don't waste the grace that empowers you to share the grace of Jesus with others. 
to tell other people about it, to go make it known. Remember, Paul said, I labor harder than all the rest of them. Not I, but the grace of God in me. So I'm working hard to get this message out. I'm working hard to let other people know about this. Because other people are being plagued by shame and guilt. Other people are feeling lost and hopeless and don't know that there's someone who conquered death for them. I need to go tell people about it. And that same grace is at work in us as well. Jesus wants to energize and empower us to go share it. And sometimes we get lazy, right? Can we admit that? Sometimes we get lazy about that. Like, well, when we make excuses, well, I don't want to come off a certain way. And, you know, what if, what if I misrepresent? What if I say the wrong thing? What if I don't know enough? And we you know, have all kinds of reasons. But it's basically Paul saying, you've been given millions and you've been told share some of it with other people. Right? Just to s simplify it a little bit. Just go share this gift, this treasure with other people. We all have unique assignments that we're called to do that in. We're not going to be the Apostle Paul traveling around the Roman Empire. Right? Some of us might travel far and wide. Some of us near and local. There's Frank. Frank works for Uber. Can I, can I talk about you for a moment? You don't even know. <laughs> He's like, no. I'm like, okay, moving on. Um, he's got multiple assignments in his life. One of them is an Uber driver. Frank doesn't want that to go to waste. So I know, because I've heard stories over the years of people that he's you know, shared the love of Jesus with, talked about the love of Jesus to. He doesn't want it to go to waste. He doesn't want to just take that time and talk about sports, although I'm sure he talks about that too. Nothing wrong with that. But he doesn't, he doesn't want to miss opportunities. Life is short. That's an assignment. We all have different assignments. God's sending us. He's motivating, empowering. He's highlighting people. We need to pay attention to that. Don't waste the grace that is at work in those assignments. Every day there might be people that God highlights, random people, maybe at stores. Another story that popped in my head, Justin, Steve, I hope this is okay I share. If it's not, show me grace, huh? They were coming off the beach at the end of the summer and they went to have a meal in Belmar. And while they were having a meal, uh, they, they noticed a, a, a woman who looked very distraught. And they, they decided to start talking to her and they find out that she had been abandoned by her ride. Um, and she was trying to get not to Brick, not to Seaside Heights. She was trying to get to Philly. Philadelphia. So, what they decided to do was, they didn't call Frank as an Uber driver. They didn't call her Lyft. They took her to Philadelphia on a Sunday night, spontaneously. Who does that? People who've been touched by the grace of God and are motivated to share it with others. They're not that special. They've just been touched by the grace of God. So they drive her to Philly on a Sunday night, randomly, and uh, talk to her about the love of God, talk to her about Jesus. They don't know if they're going to see her again. And uh, just got a call from her sister a few days later, just thanking her. You don't know where those seeds are going to go. But the point is, that was just the grace of God energizing them to do a, at least three-hour round trip. I don't know what the traffic was like that night. At least three hours. Because God's highlighting someone and saying, hey, the same grace I showed you, I want you to show others. God's always at work. Let's not waste his grace. We have a short time here on earth. Let's not get distracted by all these other things.
Look at this. In case you're like very, very analytical and you're tempted to say, well, the Apostle Paul, when he said, I labor harder than everyone else, not, the, not me, but the grace of God, you might be tempted to say, that was Paul describing his life, not prescribing for us how we should live. And I would agree with you if not for the last verse of this passage, where after Paul talked all about the resurrection, he said this, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Huh? Give yourselves to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. If it's done in Jesus' name, it's not in vain. It's not going to go to waste. Just make sure it's done in Jesus' name. Don't busy your life working hard, building a different kingdom. Or seeking your own glory. That's like when I coach little kids in soccer, Tesla's age in soccer. Sometimes kids will do these awesome soccer moves and get down the field and have an awesome goal, but it's for their own team. Like their own goal. Uh, you know, for the other team in their own goal. And it's like, does it count? It don't count. But good move. And some of us are working really hard. But it's for a different kingdom. Make sure it's for the Lord. Make sure it's for Jesus, the one who came after you, lavished his grace on you, and is now sending you out to play for his team. What I want to do is I want to turn your attention to the screen. We're going to watch this testimony of uh, someone in our church and, and just see how some of these themes kind of have come together in their life. And, and then we'll spend some time worshiping and, and praying for folks. Uh, it's about 10 minutes long, so take a look. I don't ever remember a time when God was not important in my life. And so as a child, young child, way back, I didn't mind going to bed because that was my time to chat with God. My um, upbringing was my dad was Protestant. I didn't understand what that meant. And my mom was Catholic, so they did not combine, you know, neither one <clears throat> went into the other religion. But apparently along the way, I have two older brothers. My mom decided it was important for us to go to church. So my brothers are 11 and seven years older. So I followed along. A memory that I have that now when I think back to it, how um, odd it was, but for God to be calling me so young. My teacher announced in second grade that Mount Carmel's was starting their first Holy Communion class. And something, it was just such a special time. They didn't have their own nuns, so a nun from another town came to teach us every Saturday morning. And she was so beautiful. I remember thinking she looked like Ingrid Bergman from Bells of St. Mary. But not only was she beautiful on the outside, she loved God and she imparted that to us. And I decided at that point that I wanted to be a nun. So I spent, you know, the rest of my elementary years into my middle, you know, middle school years. And then I realized what that meant, that I'd be giving up a family. And I remember feeling very sad about that because I thought that's how that would have been my only way to serve God. And it started a period of feeling uh, lost 
empty and knowing that the Bible held the answers to know God better, but thinking that was out of my range. That was not something, a Bible was not for me to know or study. So after college, uh, I got married and, you know, tried, you know, going back to church and it just, I just kept feeling, feeling like I'm not finding the answers in the Catholic Church. But there was another pivotal moment in my life. I gave birth to my son, Jerry, and this kind of grandmotherly nurse came and brought him in and she gave him a big kiss and hug and handed him over to me. And I distinctly remember that that was the moment I said, God has granted me a miracle and whatever it takes, I am going to find him to thank him for this blessing that he gave me. I mean, I felt like I really knew that there was more, but I couldn't put my thoughts on it, my heart on it. I just couldn't figure out what was missing. When my son was about three, um, Jehovah's Witnesses came knocking on my door and um, you know, asked if I would be interested in having a Bible study with them. And I thought, yeah, this is me. Like someone's actually offering to me to study the Bible. I thought, oh, that's this is now this is what I'm was looking for. God is so gracious because something made me take out my King James. I don't even know where I got it. King James, my Catholic Bible, and their New World Translation. So every time we would do a lesson, I would check the verses in all three of the books. And what I did uh, discover was they um, based a lot of their studies on verses out of context. So if I read a few verses before, a few verses after, I would then the next week we would just argue over the lesson because I would say that's not what that said. So we continued like that. I even gave birth to Dana during that time. So now I'm doing a Bible study with an infant and a three-year-old and arguing every week. After two years, they said to me, this isn't going to work out. We're going to have to stop this. I have to say then, it was a very empty time in my life because I just, I'm not a Catholic, I'm not a Jehovah's Witness, and I still don't know God like I felt I should know Him. Maybe a year after that, ladies from a Baptist church in Freehold came knocking on my door. They were doing door-to-door -door calling. So they, when they came to my door, typically back then they would say their opening line was, if you were to die tonight and stand before God and, and he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would your answer be? And I was totally honest. I said, I have no idea. I thought there would be a point where I would know what to say, but I have no idea. So they asked if they could come in. And I was like, sure, come on in. I'll just backtrack a little. The one thing that was missing in Jehovah's Witnesses was Jesus. They did not give him the honor and the preeminence that I always held. And I can honestly say it was I was missing Jesus in that Bible study. And not that I knew that that was the key, but I knew I wanted Jesus. I was not relegating him to be 
Michael the Archangel. So when the Christian ladies were in my house, I did take their tracks and they asked, can we come back next week? And the one thing that they said to me that made an impression and that I hadn't heard yet was that they said, you don't have to believe what we're saying. You take, the, you take this scripture and you ask God to show you his truth and it will always be a, a prayer that he will answer. No one had ever said that to me. It, it made an impression on me that they left that with me. They were willing to leave without me committing anything to them. So they came back the next week. They said, how about we leave our Bible study? And it was a Bible study that started with salvation, assurance of salvation, baptism, church membership. It was the whole kit and caboodle right in one lesson. And they said, just do that and we'll come back the next week. And that was the week, wow, that was the week that God really opened my eyes and my heart to the truth. And in that lesson, I realized that trusting in Jesus was what the missing piece was that I didn't know him because I didn't fully trust him because I was hanging on to what I was doing and trying to be sincere, trying to be good. And of course that's empty because we're not. And all that time I was so grateful that God never took his calling away from me. So when I did that lesson and it was all about Jesus, and I just was thinking about it day after day after day. And one night, while while I was in bed, Jerry's next to me sleeping, I couldn't go to sleep until I prayed. I remember my prayer was, I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea what this is leading to, but I do know it's all about Jesus. And I'm just giving my life to you, and I'm gonna trust what happens from here. And I have never, literally, I've never felt the same. When I stopped praying, my life was totally different from that moment on. The ladies came back, I guess in a few days, and we're sitting down at my table, and we're talking, and all of a sudden, one of the ladies just stopped talking, and she said, you got saved, didn't you? I didn't even, I don't know if I even knew that was the term, but I said, I trusted Jesus and she said, it's all over your face. Everything about you has, you know, shows that you have been born again. And I have never had one day where I've regretted it, questioned it. I've never questioned my salvation. It, it was just a total, um, total knowing you have the spirit you know the Bible says that the Holy Spirit um, you know bears witness with our spirit that we're saved and I knew it from that moment my passion now is uh, as many people to hear the truth that I heard so many years ago I have to, I feel like I just have to kind of do it like, um, not so overtly, I'm not good at just 
being that kind of overt evangelist, but just to continually make little strides, just to, no matter what's happening or whatever the circumstances, to always let people know it's because of what God is doing. It's because of, of how Jesus saved me.